It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Third Coast Podcast. I'm Dennis Funk. Just a quick reminder before we start this week's show. We have both scholarships and volunteer opportunities available to help young, diverse producers learn about the art and craft of audio storytelling at this year's Third Coast Conference, which is from the 7th to 9th of November. If you qualify and think attending the conference will change your life, believe me, it will, then visit thirdcoastfestival.org for more details and get on it soon because the time is running out to apply. Uh, we're doing something a little different on the podcast this week, so I'm just going to switch things over here a bit. Just give me one moment. Alright, there it is. This week we're bringing you a recording of our most recent listening event with WBEZ education reporter Linda Lutton. Her reporting laid the foundation for last year's award-winning This American Life series on Harper High. Linda spoke with ReSound host Gwen Maxi live at the Hideout in Chicago where we listened to some of her favourite stories and inspirations. If you like these sort of events, then you won't want to miss out on our next Chicago listening room on the 21st of August. We'll be talking to Nate DeMeo, creator of the Memory Palace podcast. He's also a writer for the series Parks and Recreation. So there'll be TV, radio, fun people, probably a few drinks, all things nice, basically. To buy tickets or to learn more, head over to our website, thirdcoastfestival.org, and click on the calendar. All right, that's all from me. Now let me hand it over to Gwen. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the hideout and to our listening room tonight. I'm so, so, so excited because we are here with one of my very favorite reporters in the world, Linda Lutton. Um, You know her. She is the ace WBEZ education reporter. Um, And I cannot think of any war correspondent, muckraker, uh, investigative journalist with more moxie than Linda has. I mean that she, when she gets her teeth into a story, she will not sleep until she brings it to you. Um, so I guess I just want to open with this question for you, Linda. Have you always been this way? I mean, like, you know, when you're at home and your kids, you maybe suspect your kids, if not being 100% truthful? Are you as dogged with them as you are with, like, Rahm Emanuel? (laughs) These questions have not been rehearsed at all. (laughs) They're all surprise questions. Um, So, no, like, I don't try to be like that with my family. I have to intentionally try not to be with with my family that way. Like, I have uh, three kids. They're 16, 15, and almost 13. 
And uh, so I actually really have to put on the brakes. But yeah, there is. The, is that uh, hard for you? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> but I do, I do do it. It's, but it's challenging. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would like to be there when Linda's like <laughs> suspicious of something and has to angel devil. It's more like I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be you. You be the teacher. What <laughs> What did the teacher say? The, the teachers must be like. Oh my God! Your mother is Linda Lutton. A, 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 F, F. Goes both ways. Um, well, so this fall, Linda is leaving us, but just for a little bit, um, she's going to Columbia University to become a Spencer Fellow, which is a program for education reporters to work on. You know, a dream project, among other things. Um, and so, before she goes, we wanted to take this opportunity to talk to her, to listen to some of her work. And the first thing we're going to listen to is actually something that she didn't do, but she brought to us as something that has inspired her. Um, it's kids talking about things. They would like to tell their parents, but they don't feel like they can. I steal my mother's car. That I'm not a virgin. Sorry, Mom, I love you, but... Stop putting so much pressure on me to always be perfect because I get good grades and because I'm always the one they're comparing my brother to. It's like, oh, be like her, be like her. Uh, sometimes I stole money from their purse. Mm, freshman year, every time I said I was at the library, I was with my boyfriend. I want to join the Marines and I don't care what they have to say about it. I want to be a, a writer. I got a tattoo when I was in Spain. And I have friends who do drugs and I've been to parties where they drink, but I just don't want to tell her because then she might not let me go. Or they need to become better parents. I have to confess that I have jungle fever. Did I actually really hate my little sister. Like, really hate her, not just because she bothers me. It's a bullet hole in our basement wall, and my mama kept wondering where it came from, and I never told her, and I wanted her to know that it was me one day when I was playing with the gun in the house. If I had the guts to, like, tell my parents that I sell porn <laughs> to students... I love my dad more. That I hate everything about him. That, um... The reason I don't have a girlfriend is because I have a crush on this really nice guy from school. But I might not graduate high school even in the summer. That this 30-year-old guy asked me out. That my sister smokes pot on a daily basis. <laughs> and my mom... I don't really tell my parents like how much how I feel about them. Like, let them know more how I feel about them and how much I respect them more. Like, let them know. So, what is it about this tape that inspired you? Well, I do try to listen to like a lot of youth radio. That was all made by kids from Curie High School, which just happens to be the high school where my own daughter now goes. But I've been listening to that piece for years. It was made years and years ago uh, by a sort of activist teacher radio person mm -hmm. who got a youth radio program started there. And I mean, I, I cover the school's beat, which a lot of people can interpret as, um, you know, policy and what is the mayor doing and where are we building a new playground and what's the annual budget and sort of more of a policy politics side of the beat but what you know and I I have to do that and I try to do that as best as I can and but I the part I love about this beat is you know everything that it says about our culture 
and I mean these are our young people and even just in that one little I mean what was that like two two minutes or something less, less. less than two minutes you heard the whole span of of things that teenagers are thinking about from really really deep and important issues to really silly teenager issues and uh, I mean that's why I listen to youth radio. One of the things I've really tried to do is get youth, uh, get young people's voices on the radio. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I've tried to do when I've been as as ed reporter at BZ. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned also, which is kind of what you were saying before, when we were talking about tonight, was that um, the education beat is the perfect way in which to see the city. Or, or a certain lens through which it's a great way to see the city. And I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit. Any issue is going to make its way onto the school's beat, onto the education beat. I mean, you're going to... It's sort of the place in America. Schools are the place in America where, you know, this country wrestles with all the big issues that, you know, are being wrestled with in politics and sort of on a, on a societal basis. But... They, they definitely end up in the schools. I mean, um, you'll, be, you'll deal with issues on race and on class, on you know, sexuality, religion, how, how's the best way to teach math, what's appropriate for a five-year-old to do all day, should they be sitting in a chair or should they have a nap or should they be playing outside? And you know, one reason I think the reporting that can come off of the schools beat can be so impactful is um, just because I think really schools in American culture, this is, if we believe in anything, we believe in this idea that any kid born here can become anything. And if that's going to happen, this is the place where it's going to happen. And what I'm doing a lot of times is just holding up a mirror uh, and showing society the sort of society we're building. What are the big um, things that surprised you when you cover education? Um, and I guess what are the biggest surprises? Some of the things that maybe um, you thought would be true that aren't, and maybe the things that you thought weren't that are um, in terms of I mean, I know that when we talked about Harper, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, you know, the, the, the news at Harper, and I don't know if you all know about the Harper High uh, series from This American Life, and I don't want to jump too ahead in the program, but um, basically that was all, you know, a springboard from Linda's reporting at Harper High. And, and one of the things, you know, it, it was no... Th- the big headline of the story was that there were so many kids who had been shot. Um, And I think in some conversation we had, you had said, you know, like, why wasn't this a huge headline? That was one, I think, big surprise. Were there others in your reporting of that you were just like, wow, shocked? I would I think almost all the time I'm shocked. I think (laughs) the general narrative in media coverage of schools... Um, sort of we get answers given to us, right? Like, why does gang violence exist? We sort of understand basically like, oh, the kids don't have what they need at home, so they look for it on the street, and then and there's also it's tied into drug sales and blah, blah, blah. And when, I mean, very often when I get up close and talk at length 
with people, the reality really doesn't look very much like that pat story that we've been telling in the media at all. So I would say I'm surprised all the time. Hmm. Well, that's a perfect kind of lead-in to um, this story. And this is, this. okay, so this story was one of my personal favorites. Um, and it's when I heard it on the air, I just never forgot it. Um, it won the 2009, one of the 2009 uh, Third Coast Best Documentary Awards. And the idea here is that the Chicago Public Schools have so many children who are truant, who are not in school, and no real reason that they can come up with as to why. Uh, and they can't follow them all because there are too many. But of course, this was not enough of an answer for Linda, so she decided to go and find some of them. And uh, it was not easy. This, this story has three episodes in it. The first one we're not gonna hear because we just don't have the time we're going to listen to the other two stories, um, and we'll just pick it up from there. I figure that finding Marcellus will be a lot easier than finding Tim. There's a working phone number. I find his address in the phone book. But when I get to Marcellus's house, I find that nobody knows where he is. Not exactly, anyway. This is his grandma. I really don't know where he is. I can say I believe he's on 69th in Indiana or 69th in Calumet, but I did see him. It looked like him, and I'm pretty sure it was him going down uh, Indiana. The family filed a missing persons report with the police in April. Marcellus is 15 years old, and this is the fourth or fifth time he's run away from home. No, that's not it. I thought that was the new one. Okay, what, what, what date is that one? Hi, Linda. This is Officer April, Taylor from Chicago Police uh, News Affairs about your request, uh, April 16th, missing male 15-year-old. I talked to Area 2, and they are still investigating this. He is still considered a missing. Marcellus's grandmother says Marcellus just didn't want to follow the rules anymore. He stole things. He'd come home high. Marcellus's mother died when he was four. He and his brothers came to live with their grandma three years ago. Marcellus's aunt says she could see him being pulled by the neighborhood. The streets or the gangs are providing him with some sort of emotional connection. And I guess he feels like he's a part of something. You know, it's hard when you don't have your parents. And although we're here, we're trying, but it's a certain void that he's trying to fill. Marcellus's grandmother says one person at Robeson tried to help Marcellus, and that was Rodney Thomas, the head of a program to keep freshmen in school. But when I call Thomas later, he says he can't quite remember Marcellus. He has hundreds of kids to keep track of. Every day, Robeson's automated phone calling system dials up Marcellus's grandmother and tells her he's absent from school. Family members have tried to find Marcellus, but when he sees them, he runs away. So I get directions and set out to look for Marcellus myself. I don't know the name, it's Arab store. It's right across the street going directly south. It's on the, That's the Indiana. East side of the street. Right, still on the east side of Indiana. Excuse me. I'm looking for a student that I used to know. His name is Marcellus. I don't know. No? It's a spring night and the block is full. A big group of men and boys are gambling on the sidewalk. One guy is holding a stack of bills. Where is this picture? I was looking for a boy I used to know. I used to stop by at Robeson High School. And there's Marcellus leaning up against a car the littlest one there. Marcellus. He's got a baby face. 
Where you at, Shawty? Hey, come take over that's what. Let's talk to her. Marcellus's warm-up jacket is pulled up over his face, up to his nose, which is why he sounds all muffled. What's up? Put your thing down so I can talk to you, okay? All right, what's up? You remember me, right? Yeah. This week I've been looking for kids who aren't in school anymore. Okay, how you find me, though? Marcellus really doesn't want to talk about why he's not in school, and I'm not sure I can trust what he's saying anyway. He's acting funny. His eyes are completely bloodshot. <laughs> he lies yeah, and tells like me he was in school yesterday, but yesterday. he's really fixated on how I found him. I don't get this. I mean, like, how y'all find me, man? Have any of your teachers come out looking for you? No, I don't want them. Nobody got to look for me. I tell him I'm looking for the kids in his classes who don't come to school anymore. <laughs> so you go going through everybody's neighborhood looking for these students. Wow. I'm the one who's surprised when I find the third student, Kiana. She's at home on the sofa, reading a book. I've watched Robeson teachers try hard to get students to read this year, and here I am with a kid who's not even coming to school anymore, and I find her with a book. The apartment where Kiana's family lives is clean and sunny. Her eighth grade graduation photo sits on a little end table. When I ask Kiana why she's not in school, this is what she tells me. Well, I choose not to go to school because I get into too many fights. I feel like I can't get an education at Robeson. It's too much violence. Robeson's principal is usually outside after school, which is when the fights tend to break out. He told me once he wishes it would rain every day at dismissal so kids would go straight home. Kiana started having problems her first week at Robeson. The first fight I had, I got jumped on by... Eight girls. Then the second fight. Two I more had fights followed that one. Kiana tells me that a former friend has become her tormentor. Then I decided I didn't want to go there no more. Because it seemed like I always get into a fight with her and I get suspended. And I think that I'm going to be a demo and I'm not going to go to the next grade because I'll fight. I'm trying to square what Kiana is telling me with what I'm seeing. The quiet, tidy apartment, the book. From the couch, she can see the Robeson kids coming home from school. Kiana almost cries when she tells me she fears being a demote. That's a demoted freshman. She says she was suspended for 40 or 50 days for fighting this year. Kiana's dad says he's gone to the school to figure things out. I've been up to school so much, I might as well be taking a class up there. He wishes Robeson could have come up with a way to keep the two girls apart. She wants to be in school right now. I want her to be in school right now. And the year is gone. This whole year is gone now. She's going to have to repeat this ninth grade over again. All because of this foolishness. Kiana hardly leaves the house. Her mom says she's been depressed since she stopped going to school. Kiana and her parents say they asked for a transfer to a different school, but they were told they've got to wait till the end of the semester. Kiana's report card, out today, will almost surely be all F's. It's not that I'm choosing not to go to school no more. I just don't want to go to that school no more. Kiana says she hasn't dropped out of school. In fact, all the kids tell me this, that they haven't dropped out. They've just stopped going. These kids will stay on Robeson's rolls. But if they don't return to school, eventually, quietly, as quietly as they disappeared from class, their names will be dropped, along with 12,000 other kids. Linda Lutton, WBEZ. 
So I don't know how many other reporters would do that, would go to that such lengths. Um, was this your idea or was, was this an assignment? Well, I got, we got kicked out of Robeson. What do so you mean? We had been like, this had been a year long project. And, right, um, that you were reporting we were looking from at, Robeson? Right, with right. multiple reporters, and we were all reporting the full project from Robeson High. It was called 50-50, oh, right. The Odds of Graduating. And um, I actually did a story that I think aired in about March, late March, and it included a clip of the principal telling his teachers in a professional development day that they should enter, you know, if they saw improvement in a student, they should basically enter a different grade in the grade book than the one the student had actually earned. And that, um, you know, I had called the principal, I had warned him, hey, we're going to put this on the radio. He said, well, that makes me look like I'm telling him to cheat. And I said, well, what were you telling them to do? And he said, well, I'm, he explained, I'm trying to capture growth, and it, the, the computer grading system just won't capture that growth. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm going to make it very clear that that was your intent. You're trying to get to capture growth. And uh, I did go ahead and run that, uh, run that clip, and, um, and we were not allowed back in. And so then, you know, this was a project on, um, this was a whole year on dropouts. So this is April when we're getting kicked out and we still have to get to the rest of the year. And I just thought, well, you know, I had already been going all along. So I knew these, the kids, you know, that had been in the classes. And I thought, well, you know, I know because the teacher had mentioned, you know, around, I think around Christmas that he already had students that weren't coming. This is Christmas of ninth grade. So they've done three months of high school and now they're not coming like regularly not coming. And um, yeah, I hit a teacher up for the names of the kids that weren't coming anymore, and I went out and found them because I couldn't get back in the school. Yeah. <laughs> so did, did did were you turned out to be much better? <laughs> <laughs> were were you remotely intimidated or thinking twice about the fact that like one kid was on a missing persons list with the Chicago Police Department and you found him? Oh, I mean, I, I still hear that today, and I just feel like. Oh, I mean, I'm the parent of a 15-year-old boy. Are you telling me that you can file a missing persons report and the police can really honestly say they don't know where that boy is and that boy's not a priority? I mean, I know he's run around, I mean, he's run away four or five times, but he's a very troubled kid. And I could find him in, what, a half a day? Really? I still am troubled by that. I followed up a little bit with that family. That boy, that family eventually had to give up uh, custody of the boy, mm. and he became a, a, a ward of the state. So I'm not yeah. sure if that would help the police find him any sooner. Right. So this is a perfect example of what you're talking about before, about being surprised, surprised by this girl sitting in the room. Re oh, and there was a follow-up to that, right? She got her GED. Um like in a year, by the end of what would have been her sophomore year or something? something I, I know I heard like an update. Yeah, like all of right? Harvey, yeah. But like you have sort of like one mi one idea in your mind about why kids are truant and then you find this, you know, kid who's just having trouble with other kids and maybe could be so easily solved if she could get a transfer or, you know, someone would address the problem. And I think like a lot of times journalists, reporters, when we're constructing stories, we're thinking, oh, you know, I'll have a subsection on 
parents and how terrible they are and i'll have a subsection on how to how to touch the schools are and then we'll have like a little subsection on but i think like what what i ended up liking about the this story you know and weaving these three together was that you really saw like how this whole web of of everything in kids lives conspire to allow them to be out of school and have a situation in which no one did ever look for any of them and no one did ask why are you not in school why aren't you coming around anymore i mean that just seemed like such a basic question well in some of the solutions like yeah the medical form's not filled out my god like what an easy fix Right, and also you sort of got the sense that maybe it was, maybe that was the school's excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about the, you know, the fifteen-year-old kid and the police department, is it hard for you to walk away from these stories and keep them from keeping you awake at night? Or I mean, is it hard not to take these with you? Because the stuff that you report on, a lot of it is just really upsetting. It is it is hard. I mean, I do feel like I'm not a reporter who says I th- should just turn everything off or something. You know, I said, I, I think I've said before, that Harper story, that very first Harper story that I did, which was reported from the funeral of a, a 16-year-old girl, uh, Shikaki Aspie. I mean, I, I cried reporting that story. The principal broke down. She cried. I cried again when I wrote it, when I got home and had to listen to all the tape again, the funeral tape, the interview tape. I don't know what to say. I mean, the unfortunate thing, I guess, is that there's always more. Always more to go there's out There's always another story. Yeah. Well, this one, okay, so we're going to move on to our next story. Um, this w- is a story that was born out of the Harper reporting. Um, and uh, this wasn't part of the... This American Life series, but, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Linda hung out with the football team all year intermittently. And um, it was all year, the whole football season. (laughs) Every game, almost a lot of practices. Yeah. And um, and they didn't, I don't know if they didn't have time or they just weren't interested in this story for the TAL um, series, the two hour special. But um, she put it together after she was done with all that. And um, we'll talk about our differing opinions of it. Are uh, you going to play the whole thing? Yes. <laughs> As I told you, we have differing opinions of it. And we'll talk about that after we hear it. And um, it's just, you'll see what it is. It's kind of a picture of the football team. Stretch. One, two, three, four. It's a Friday afternoon in late August at Tiny Stag Stadium on 74th and Morgan. The Harper Cardinals are lined up across the field. They're dressed in their red game jerseys, red cleats, socks around their ankles because it's hot. Last fall, I spent pretty much the entire football season with the Harper Cardinals. I got to hear their locker room prayers. And one thing I got to say, Lord, let us kick a little ass in God's name. Amen. Amen. I rode the football bus to practices and games. The smell of it, uh, must sweat, uh. And I saw almost all the touchdowns. Uh-oh, uh-oh, turn up, uh-oh. Let's go for it, yeah! Football is part of the quintessential American high school experience, and Harper is a classic American story with a strong team, a dedicated coach. There's only one difference. Harper sits in a Chicago neighborhood where gun violence is completely reshaping life. 
I was with this team because the year before, 29 current and former students from Harper High were shot, eight of them killed. But I was also here to capture everyday life in a high school living with that reality. My name is Malik Harris. I play center, God, family, and football. Top three. Malik's middle name on Facebook is NFL Material. And like other players on this team, he intends to get there. Cornerback Sandelio Wright has his route to the pros completely planned out. Crimson Tag, Alabama, number seven. Make it to the league, play for the Miami Dolphins, number 23. <laughs> you got all your numbers picked out? Yep. We got to catch that ball. That ball go, and the ball's in our face. At the helm of this team is a man who played in a Harper jersey himself three decades ago. All right, name is Maris Carroll. I'm the head football coach of Harper High School. Coach Carroll says his entire coaching philosophy can be summed up in one word. Stern. Try to be a little stern with him, give, give him some discipline. Try to be a father to him, a friend to him, you know, with the sternness. Hey, Dennis, and number one, I hope you know this goes on tape. Y'all standing flat-footed, no hustle, and nobody going to recruit y'all ass standing around. I'm telling you that right now. You need the bleep with Coach Carroll. That's the quarter. Bring the water, bring the water, bring the water. The Cardinals have four team managers. They're super fans, basically. Nia, Taya, Jalisa, and Jahara. Let's be the managers of the Hopper Cardinals. The managers type up the plays, pass out jerseys, and mix the Gatorade. On game days, they dress in the boys' jerseys. They write players' numbers on their cheeks in red lipstick. They know a lot of secrets. You might think the boys hard. They all tough and stuff. It is that they are soft. Yeah. Real I just thought like half of them crack. Really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Half they of like crack. they like the little Keisha Coles. Yeah. They like girl songs too. From the very first practice I went to, everybody made one thing clear: the Harper Cardinals were going for the Public League Championship. The year before, Harper High had posted a dream season. Even with small players and a short roster, they made it to the final game. One of the dads told me that what Harper lacks in size, they make up for in heart. And they're quick, says Coach Carroll. It's old school football, really. We try to attack the edges, you know, redirect. You know, you think we're going one way, we come back the other way with the ball. So that's what makes the offense that much funner. It was fun watching the Cardinals. Number four, Antonio Barton could weave his way out of a hornet's nest of opposing players. And Sandelio looked like he was running track. No one could touch him. Even reporters in the press box loved watching them. This is unbelievable. I'm not supposed to be cheering. I just I'm trying to be professional, but I have never seen anything like this. At one time, Harper was known for its football team, not for the violence of the neighborhood. And for a good number of staff and students at Harper, a football championship seemed like an excellent way to boost the school's reputation. Sophomore B.J. Rudder felt that. We come from Inglewood, uh, a city known uh, not much for its athletic abilities, but for its gang activity, you know. So we have a mission, you know. It's our duty to show that, you know, great can come. At the end of the day, it comes to who wants it more. And I feel like... We, we, we not only want it, we feel as if we need this. Today's ball game, the home team, the Cardinals of Hopper High School. No running, no jumping, no knives, no guns allowed in the stadium. 
When I started reporting at Harper, I expected I'd find some football players who'd been touched by gun violence. I really did not anticipate answers like this. Who do you know football who's been either shot or shot at? Probably the whole team except freshmen and sophomore. Yeah, I think everybody was shot at since my four years being there. Everybody on the team. That's junior Rodney Jackson and running back Antorio, the guy who gets around linemen by cutting and weaving and then racing for the end zone. Those are skills he purposefully ignores when shot at. I fall to the ground. That's your strategy? Yeah. Because if you run, you probably get shot in the back or something like that. So I just fall to the ground. Sandelio lives about 10 blocks from Antorio on the other side of Harper. Yeah, I've been shot at coming to school before. I was just, I was happy I wasn't here. I still came to school the same day, still went to football practice, had a game the next day. I asked another player, a quiet, serious boy, if he'd ever been shot at. He responded with a question. Does it count if you've had a gun put to your head? Inside Harper's attendance boundary are more than 15 gangs, also known as cliques or factions. They have names you've probably never heard of. TGC, Woods and Beyond, Madville, Sixth Ward. Kids become associated with the gang that controls the block where they live or where they spend their time. Saying you're not involved in a gang is oftentimes not an option. It makes it nearly impossible for a boy in this neighborhood to walk anywhere safely. One day, I was talking to Coach Carroll before practice when a mom drove up to drop her son Greg off. She asked Coach Carroll if she could get tickets for Saturday's game. Then, in what seemed like almost an afterthought, she asked if Greg could use Coach Carroll's cell phone to call her when practice let out. The boy that said he was going to kill Greg, he got out of jail. All right. The boy who said he was going to kill Greg, he got out of jail, the mom explained. All right, said Coach Carroll as if this were the most normal request in the world. Those sorts of moments always took me aback, talking about kids getting shot as if it were as everyday as the weather. On the first day of school, I was with Harper's assistant principal when he ran into a student he hadn't seen all summer. They talked about how tall the student had grown and also about how his bullet wound was healing. That's crazy. That's what we go through in our community. Instead of us concentrating on football and things like that, you know, which our other school is, that's all they concentrate on. Our kids, they got all kind of other obstacles and, and hurdles they got to jump before they even get here. Every coach has to get his team ready to play. But in addition to that, Coach Carroll has to make a team out of rival gang members. There are somewhere between five and seven different gangs represented on the Harper Cardinals. Players and school staff say between 70 and 90 percent of football players have some gang affiliation. Some of them touted on their Facebook pages. Backbeat number two, Demone Ware. And number seven, Sandillo Wright. On the field, Sandelio's positioned right next to Demani Ware for kickoff. In the neighborhood, their gangs are adjacent too. So I don't want to call them gangbangers, but this is the area they're from. Money is from Sixth Ward. He lives in Sixth Ward area. And Sandelio is from Madville area. And those two areas don't get along? At all. Like all in all in vinegar. Back up, back up. Back up. Back up, back up Sandelio. Sandelio, get back. Money, get money, back. money, back up. Money's body is covered with tattoos, a couple of them associated with the gang on his block. But every football player I interviewed told me that on the practice field, in the weight room, on the football bus, 
during the three hours after school, the rules kids usually have to live by in this neighborhood, rules that pit one block against the next block, those rules are suspended. Here's money. When we get on a football field, we a team. We don't even look at that. If our block was to get into it with somebody block that's on a team, we'll let that stay outside the team. We don't even, don't even think about that on the field. We all family. It's a huge victory, but also an incredibly fragile one. Sandelio and Money call each other brothers, but they can't walk safely to each other's houses. Money has to downplay his relationship with football players when he's back on the block. And most of the players on the team are from a single gang. Other kids are often afraid to come out. When I asked the football players about this notion of brotherhood with rival gang members, they told me it was a relief, actually. Football was a relief. For three hours a day, they didn't have to think about watching their back, about fights or violence. Taya Hollis, one of the managers, sees that. Some of these players on the team could be ops to each other. Ops mean the opposite. And still, at the end of the day, they're a team. Like, ain't nobody going to come in and ruin their relationship. Do you see that anywhere else in school? I don't see that nowhere else in school. Nowhere. When I look back on the months I spent with the Harper Cardinals, one day stands out to me. It was homecoming. The day before, a nearby shooting nearly canceled the football game and dance. But in the end, both went on as planned. The Cardinals won their game 40 to nothing. The bus ride home included deafening whoops from happy players. At the dance, the gym pulsated with music. The fluorescent lights were dimmed. The homecoming queen's crown bobbed up and down in the mass of dancing kids. Nearly all the football players were there. Antonio Barton wore his homecoming king sash and crown. The cafeteria was converted to a photography studio. The football managers posed in wobbly high heels in front of a backdrop with Roman columns, the sky a perfect blue. It was a moment of ordinary, a homecoming dance just like any other homecoming dance anywhere. And in this context, it felt remarkable. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen, let's go! Out. The Cardinals made it to the quarterfinals. They lost to a big team with big linebackers. The night they lost, Coach Carroll had all the players turn in their football equipment right then and there. It was 11 o'clock. Some of the seniors cried. The next day after school, the first day in months with no football practice, the players milled around near the locker rooms, hesitating to walk outside. Usually we come out here, wait right here, wait for uh, football practice to start. It's not right anymore. No Coach Carroll yelling at you? Oh, I used to hate that. Now I'm starting to miss it now. Coach Carroll says every end of season he thinks about his players, their safety. Any given time, something could happen to them, you know. Any given time, you know, somebody running, riding down the street, see one of them. So worry about all of them. Football gave them a reason to stay out of trouble, and it gave them a break from the rules of the neighborhood. Coach Carroll told me he'll start training for next season in a few months. Linda Lutton, WBEZ. Okay, so when we were talking about planning this night um, and we were talking about this story, Linda's like, no, don't play that story. And I'm like, why not? And she's like, there's no story either. There's no arc. It's just a series of vignettes, and it doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, no, it's like a whole big picture of the team, and it says so much about like 
the whole gestalt of the team, the school, everything, the kids' lives, what they're dealing with, you know, the whole thing. Anyway, so do you feel any differently listening to it in this context? That's my first question. Oh, well, it's always nice to hear how people react to your stories. That's nice. <laughs> well, it just made me miss the kids. Like, I just remember. It's just a nice picture. It's sort of like a snapshot. Right, right. Still not really a story, though. <laughs> See, now what do you guys think? Do you guys think that it was a story? <laughs> See, I rest my case. Um, but, so, I'm just curious, from a reporter, like a reporter's reporter, um, if you had the opportunity to do it differently, what would you do differently? I mean, how would you turn that long, kind of, loose piece into a story? if you had your druthers? Well, I mean, I, I had every, like I could have done something different, right? But this is what I came up with. I mean, I think that gets to a, like a frustration that I feel a lot. I mean, I'm out reporting and seeing everything and I can't say how many times I'm looking at something like a, a classroom or I'm at a football game and I'm documenting, you know, months and months of, whatever I'm documenting and I just say to myself my god I hope I can make something that like lives up to the what I'm seeing and you know the stories that I'm that I have before me that are real people's stories I hope I can do them justice and I hope I can express to the public like a little bit of what I've seen and done and, and do that in a way that that lets them share in what I'm seeing it's, I'm sure every reporter feels that when you see something impactful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which you do all the time. I mean, are and, you and ever the other thing that was hard for me about this story was that, you know, we had already done, those two hours had already run. Everyone in the whole country right. knew about Harper High School. The first lady was quoting from my stories in Harper High School. Like, that is not going to happen ever again. That was cool. Um, but... Then you're like, well, what am I gonna say that hasn't been said? There was such a huge, you know, outpouring. I mean, I was astounded by it. I just couldn't believe it. My friend Ben, you know, Ben Calhoun, that worked to another reporter who had been my colleague at BZ. He was the political reporter, and then he went to join This American Life, and I worked with him and with Alex Kotlowitz on the, the This American Life Harper High School stories, and. Um, the, you know, there was a time, see, Alex Kotlowitz was doing stories from the social work office. And, you know, I mean, he was talking to kids who had seen people shot before their eyes, shot dead, other kids, their brother in one case. He had a kid who, you know, he told the story of a kid who, who accidentally shot his own brother and the trauma that, you know, that kid was living through while going to the high school. I mean, next to those sorts of stories, I understood why the football, you know, story didn't didn't hold up the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't question that. But I remember Ben saying, "You're going to be shocked. It's a whole different world when you put something on national air." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I write these stories that, you know, because I we had already done the heart, we'd done the story about 27 kids being right shot at." at Harper. We had done the interview with the principal and that did break through to people. I mean, I think what I'm trying to do too is 
you know, you hear, when you hear schools news or when you hear news about kids and violence, you know, it becomes just something that just washes over us. It's just like, okay, how many kids this weekend or how many people shot this weekend? And what, you know, what, what I wanted to make with that first Harper piece, the funeral piece, and what we wanted to make with the two hours of Harper High School was just something that would touch people in a different way. And um, I guess, I mean, you know, the whole reason that I was following the football team was that everybody on This American Life felt from the outset, um, and I certainly felt like, like this, that it was going to be important to document, uh, like, regular old high school life that this couldn't be an hour at that point. We were thinking about an hour of just youth violence and gun violence. So it became two killing. hours. <laughs> then it became two, <laughs> two hours, hours of that. And, um, but, you know, but that was the reason why I was yeah. following them, but the I football think team. That's exactly what you captured, you know, was kind of the everyday life of the team. So we're always going to disagree about that piece. I think but I liked it when I heard it. Now, I mean, I liked it because I was like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember the smelly bus was so smelly. Uh, that was is, there any, is there any circumstance you walk into with fear? Or are you pretty much like, I mean, you certainly seem to go anywhere, any place, anytime, talk to anyone. I know you're bilingual. You speak fluent Spanish. Um, that can open doors in certain circumstances, especially we'll, we'll hear one of those pieces in a, in a minute. But, um, you know, are you, are you the same with and without the microphone? Is it just Linda Lutton born without fear? <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I guess, I mean, I do actually get asked that question a lot. Like, are you afraid to mm -hmm. go? Were you afraid to go look for Marcellus? Mm -hmm. And... Um, I have to say I'm not or uh, well go ahead I'm not at all afraid I'm not I mean at all I mean I understand the violence in Chicago is not about some white lady reporter mm -hmm. um that is not who is being affected by this violence and um I don't feel like I would be a target in any way ever and um, but I'm, and I also, I mean, I just truly, I do love people, and I think that's one of the reasons, uh, it's one of the reasons I love audio so much, actually, because I feel like people come through more. And I just, it's almost like anything anybody tells me in my tape recorder, I mean, I just, I can understand you, I, I'm feeling you, I can get what you're saying, right? Like, you're telling me this, and I, I hear where you're coming from. And I can't wait to, like, let other people hear what you think. Um... And I just, I really do truly, I truly love people. I love to be around people. Um, There's also a certain um, political fearlessness, I will say. Um, I remember we were talking about a story, uh, oh, it was another situation where you were, had, had talked, it was at Harper right after the pieces aired and the CPS didn't want the principal to talk to the press anymore. Right? Right, yeah. 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 And um, you were going to report that. I don't know if you ever... If we that were considering reporting. We were prepared to report that. Right. But then, yeah, we saw some shift in that. I mean, we have... We live, we're living in a city that... Uh, with, you know, mayor's administration that has a very, very, very careful controlling approach to press. 
and uh, you know it's been hard to get into schools. Uh, they completely forgot we were in Harbor High, and they may never have known that I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> that is the honest truth. I but told this American Life, they're like, oh, we'll use your name. I was like, do not say my <laughs> name at all. Um, <laughs> Do not say my but, name. But there's a certain political fearlessness as well that you guys were going to report that story. I mean, you're willing to report stuff that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers as long as you're speaking the truth. I mean, I, you know, that's a lot of stress to me. I, I would have a hard time sometimes knowing the city was going to come down on me for doing, you know, story X or story Y. That doesn't the bother you? The city comes down well, on me every time I write a story. Really? The city came... I recently reported that kids all summer long... Now this this is there was a sh- shift they did get into shape but I think I reported around the fourth of July that kids <gasps> oh, right, were riding this. the CTA <laughs> yes to educational programs and job programs <laughs> they right, should have been paying seventy five cents and every one of our kids in all of Chicago was paying two twenty five and and I, I got emails that you scroll and scroll and <laughs> scroll down I had you know long long conversations. Um, if I weren't with a half a foot out the door, I would have followed up on that. Do you get people like yelling in your face, not just emailing you screeds, but like really angry and um, we, like I've gotten every every education reporter in this city gets calls from the mayor's press people saying what they didn't like about your story, not what's wrong or inaccurate about your story, <laughs> but what they did not like about your story. Um, that was absolutely regular. Now, there have been some shifts at the, in the communications office at CPS, so we'll see how it goes going forward. But that has been how things work. So you have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. You, have, you, you have to be absolutely sure that everything you're writing is rock Factual. solid. Yeah. And then you have to be prepared for the firing squad the next day. Ed reporters were talking amongst ourselves at a press conference once, and one of the reporters said he could tell when one of his stories had posted, because often we'll file a story and then it has to work its way through our news organization's like websites, and he actually could tell when it was posted because he got the call from the CPS communications office that fast. Wow. And sometimes it's things as petty as, why did you quote the union twice when you only quoted us? gave us one quote that's day to day wow um okay so we're gonna do a boomerang here and switch gears because linda does not only report on education though that is most of what you hear um she (laughs) um she's just always looking for a story let's just put it that way and um we're gonna play a few examples of times that she has found stories where perhaps nobody else would find them. Um, This next one, uh, well, let's just say it's very short, um, and the only thing I'm going to tell you before you hear it is that it's about meat. Like a lot of stories about cloud in Chicago, this one starts in Bridgeport. Not at the ward office, though. This story starts at a barbecue I was invited to. Fourth of July, a little side yard next to a respectable three-flat. A guy I met there, he brought some meat to grill. My friends remember it, too. Nothing melted in your mouth, and he cooked it. Whatever he marinated it in, I don't know what. It seemed like it should be illegal. It tasted so good. Like there was something in it that 
you can't get on regular store shelves. Here's the guy who brought the meat. I'll call him Tony. He doesn't want me to use his real name. I I feel like a drug dealer with this stuff because it's so incredible. You bite into this meat and you realize this was meant for somebody else. Somebody a lot more important. So I did what anybody would do. He said, where'd you get this meat from? And I really couldn't, I really couldn't tell you. Tony's lived in Bridgeport all his life. He didn't want to be specific, but he said he got the meat at a little corner store. He said not just anybody can buy it. He said you gotta know the guy. It's across the street from my house and I'm always there and over time, you know, there's trust. It's, I guess it's just a perk. A perk? Wow. This is just like those clout stories in the news. Kids getting into good high schools and universities because of who they know. Back at the barbecue, I had just met Tony, but he says things might be different now. I didn't know you that well. I didn't want to jeopardize his livelihood. Just, you know, being a loudmouth about it. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he'd have a problem giving you the meat. <laughs> if you introduced If I introduced you, sure, sure. Tony agrees to take me across the street to the store. In another time, a time when the mayor and other powerful people were just kids running around this neighborhood, the stores might have been owned by the Irish or the Poles. Now, many are Mexican, packed with tamarind candy and phone cards. But Bridgeport traditions live on. Hey, you. Hi. How are you doing? This is, uh, How are you doing? Good. My name is Roberto. Hi, Roberto. How are you doing? I don't think that's his real name. It seems like Roberto sells more Cheetos than anything else. Tony says his wife can't believe this is where the meat comes from. The first time we cooked it up, he's like, you got this over there. I can't believe he has this. What, where the heck did he get this from? I said, I don't know. And I'm not going to ask questions. Roberto knows what I've come for. Do you want to see the packages? Enseñale uno. Traele un paquete de la carne. Esta carne es la mera. That's it? I'm in the back of the store right now, and there's nothing really back here. There's, there's a bicycle, some crates of RC cola. And there's a popsicle cooler here. It's filled with bags of ice. And in the corner, there's some vacuum-packed bags of meat. You want to cook? (laughs) Right now? That's it, folks. I'm clouded in. On my way out of the store, Roberto tells me this. If I want any meat, he says, all I need to do is come by. And if I want to send somebody over, that's okay, too. I should just tell them to use my name. Now all I've got to do is figure out how to get my kids into a good Chicago high school. <laughs> Linda Lutton, WBEZ. See, it's still an education story. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what made you think of uh, the, what made you even think about this as a story? <laughs> Just, um, just there were so many elements that, you know, the clout stories were in the news. And I am, I am like a 100% education nerd. Like, I see everything through school terms and education terms. And, you know, teachers also fall into this bad trap where they, you know, they just, you can make education jokes. Yeah, and I, the clout stories are in the news. This guy won't, he wouldn't honestly tell me where the meat was from. 
<laughs> and I was like, what? I got to know someone? What? Chicago uh, Sounds like a Chicago story to me. Obviously a clout story. Yeah. Uh, well, um, did you, do you find that this kind of reporting is a break from the education <clears throat> stuff that you, like, need? Like, do you need to get away from the education stuff for a little bit and do stuff like this? Or... Oh, is it yeah. just a, is it just sort of part of the wash of stuff? I totally need this kind of piece, and I have another one coming up about swim class, like so. It might be on the you know on the topic, but it's got to be you have to clear your head somehow, and also you don't want to fight. I mean, I don't particularly want to go to work and have people hollering about my stories all the time, you know. Like so, anything that you cover that's serious, it gets a lot of even the time after you you know, come out with that story, it can be sort of a very heavy thing to deal with. Mm -hmm. A lot of feedback and you do a piece like this and you can just be, you can just enjoy sort of making the art of it. I mean, radio is really making, I've really felt that it's very artistic and poetic. Absolutely. And in this piece was hilarious. I mean, you know, delivery was hilarious, timing and all that stuff. And it can... You know, you can do so much with it. You can tell a story. You can be funny. You can, you know. It's because it's you're living these things, and they just are inherently hilarious, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, the trick is to call out, you know, some truths, too, that say something bigger than just, you know, just a laugh or just a funny story, right? Exactly, right. Um, does Do you ever feel like you could sit back and rest on your laurels uh, I mean it's covering such a crazy beat like education um, or is it just like you are in the hamster wheel and you're just like there's just so many stories to do all the time that it's just like okay that was great moving on yeah that's how I feel yeah. well <laughs> I mostly feel the um, pressure of knowing things that are really important that are affecting kids lives or people's lives and that, you know, I just feel a very deep obligation to let the public know about. So it, it's almost always that that's pushing me to do stories. The next I mean, time. I feel like in some ways I'm not sure why this happened, you know, but I've had, um, I mean, you asked about, like, do I, am I afraid to report anywhere? I will say, like, I feel like as a reporter, I'm much more comfortable personally reporting from a school on the south side or in a neighborhood that other people might consider, you know, dangerous or somewhere I need to be afraid of. It is dangerous if you're a, a boy that lives in that neighborhood, but um, I, I feel much more comfortable there than I feel like with the folks who are running our school system right now like if I am in a room with all of them I feel and and this hasn't always been true I mean I think 10 years ago I've felt like the people running the school system were you know they had been teachers maybe I knew them when they were teachers and now they sort of moved up through the ranks and I guess I just feel like there's a I mean, there are circles in which I don't feel particularly comfortable. And I feel that, you know, for whatever reason, I'm also, you know, I've married into a different culture and I have connections in that culture that I wouldn't have if I weren't married yeah. there and that I wouldn't have if I hadn't, you know, lived in Mexico. And um, 
I feel in some ways, you know, what one thing that these stories have in common or that a lot of my stories have in common is it's a sort of, uh, you know, these are translations from communities that we don't really hear a lot from, but that are absolutely part of the fabric of Chicago. We should hear a lot more from these places. And, and I feel like, you know, so that's, I guess, the pressure that I mm -hmm. feel to keep working, and I work a lot. Yeah, I know. Um, well, what's bubbling up in terms of what you want to work on when you're, um, if you're at liberty to say, uh, when you're in New York at, uh, at Columbia? So I've got a year to make a big radio project, maybe another project like, like I hesitate to say like Harper High, but you know, maybe like an hour long radio documentary. I'll have the kind of time to make that and hopefully I can do something that lives up to that. I mean, that was made with so many talented people and I was like a little speck in there. But um, do you have anything more narrow than that? Or well, is it just my topic is poverty. I'm looking at the relationship between poverty and school outcomes. A lot of the things driving the, the changes in the school system right now, lots, many, many new schools, charter schools have a philosophy um, about poverty. They have some very um, conscientious thinking about poverty and how it should not determine school outcomes the way it, it has. And I'm going to take a very, very close look at, at that. Um, and I'm going to look at it inside a school classroom and see what it looks like. Another light, breezy subject <laughs> by Linda Lutton. <laughs> and I think Linda will be here for a little while if you have other questions for her. And I just want to say thank you for coming. And have a good night. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes, send us an email, or let us know through Facebook or Twitter. You can also support us with a donation at thirdcoastfestival.org. As always, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.